Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Dogs Program here on 3CR 855 on the AM dial and broadcast on the WWWs. Um, look, uh, it's just me, myself, Rob and Dale in the studio today. Jane's off doing other things. Um, she'll be back next week, of course. But until then, uh, we're going to indulge in a little bit of, um, I don't know, a, a little bit of manufacturing analysis. Um, I'm going to talk about sausages. Um, when sausages taste good, no one really cares how they're made. When sausages taste rubbish, everyone wants to know what's going on. And education funding and the education debate in Australia is like a sausage that's gone off in the sun. It's a mess. It's a huge mess and it's a problem. So first of all, I'm going to describe one very particular and interesting way that no one's talking about, that um, Australian education has really stuffed it up. Um, it stuffed it up on the world stage and it's continuing to stuff it up. The way, of course, that Australian education is being stuffed up is that there's a very basic principle in the 21st century that if you want to be a bunch of pe- amongst a bunch of people who are going to succeed in the world as it continues forward, the people you want to hang out with want to be basically educated. They want to know how to be creative, have the resources to be creative, and actually have the intellectual capacity to see through their creative impulses, either as an individual, as a group, or indeed as an economy, or indeed as a country. Education is the way that you create the greatest possible resource from the, from, or the greatest possible powerful resource from the materials you have available. Materials, of course, are what we call people. People, well-educated, have a greater capacity to survive and thrive in the 21st century. The larger the number of people you educate to the highest possible standard is of the greatest possible benefit for any group, be it just a couple of people, be it a group of people, be it your family, or indeed be it your country, or indeed be it the whole planet. Now, in Australia, today amongst all the OECD countries, that is the countries who've gone through the process of being poor and are now considering themselves developed or developing in the world and have, in comparative terms, much more wealth than anyone else, of all those countries, of which Australia, Australia, luckily enough, is one, of all those countries, many of them are pursuing to educate the largest number of people in their countries to the highest possible standard. And there's a measure of this. The measure of how well you're doing is what's called a measure of social equity. If you live in a country where a poor person, no matter how clever they are, but if you are a poor person in a country and you, and you are prevented from getting a good education, that is not only just inequitable, but it's bloody stupid. And so they have these measures of educational equity. The higher the fairness in terms of a child's education relating to it, to that child's background, the the higher that measure, basically the more prosperous a country is and is likely to continue to be. Now, the OECD, the Organisation of Economic, you know, basically the people who say what's going on between countries, um, the OECD has come out with a report and the report's damning of one particular country and that country is Australia because Australia going from one of the most equitable countries when it comes to education, that is, it didn't matter how much your parents earned back at the end of the Second World War um, in relation to your potential for education, to now Australia in 2018 being in a much more parlous situation. And I think when we talk about sausages, 
This is why the sausage in Australia stinks. This is why people are now jumping up and down about what on earth is going on inside Australia. What's going on inside the factory when it comes to education and how it's indeed produced. And I'm going to hang on for, just hold on to, um, hold on to that thought for a moment. And after the break, I'm going to get Dale to outline what Trevor Cobalt has written about this particular subject, about how Australia, a wealthy country, is de-educating it's poor people. 3CR will be broadcasting live from the steps of the Victorian Parliament House in support of Defend and Extend Public Housing's 10-day vigil. Public housing, everybody's business. Join the anarchist world this week at Parliament House, 10am to 11am, on two Wednesdays, the 14th and 21st of November. And yes, there is more... Also join Talk Back With Attitude at Parliament House, 10 to 11am, Thursday the 15th and the 22nd of November. Make public housing a significant issue for the forthcoming state election. Join us for these live broadcasts on the steps of the Victorian Parliament House. Welcome back to the Dogs Program. I'm going to throw the Dale in a minute because we're going to talk about what's going on in Australia in terms of education in comparison to the rest of the world and indeed in absolute terms because Australia are stuffing things up big time and we're about to find out why. Thanks, Rob. I've got an article from the Save Our Schools group uh, about fighting for equity in education uh, the subtitle is uh, Australia has one of the most socially segregated school systems in the world. A new o- OECD report shows that Australia has one of the most segregated school systems in the OECD and in the world. It also shows that Australia has the equal largest increase in social segregation in the OECD and the world since 2006. Government education and funding policies are major factors behind the increase in social segregation. Drawing on data from PISA 2015, the report shows that Australia has the equal fourth most segregated school system in the OECD with 51% of disadvantaged students concentrated in disadvantaged schools. This is only exceeded by Mexico, Hungary and Chile. Across the OECD, 48% of disadvantaged students are in disadvantaged schools, while Finland has the least social segregation, with 40% of its disadvantaged students in disadvantaged schools. Social segregation in Australian schools is higher than in most other countries and economies participating in PISA 2015. Only 16 countries and economies out of 73 participating in PISA have a greater concentration of disadvantaged students in disadvantaged schools than Australia. In contrast, advantaged schools in Australia have very few disadvantaged students compared to other OECD countries and many other countries and economies participating in PISA. Only 4.6 of disadvantaged students in Australia are in advantaged schools, compared to the OECD average of 6.4. Iceland and Norway have the highest percentage of disadvantaged students in advantaged schools, 10.8 and 11.2 respectively. Only 5 out of 35 OECD countries have a lower percentage than Australia. Chile, Spain, Mexico, Hungary and Luxembourg. Also, 17 other countries and economies have a lower percentage than Australia. Australia also has the largest increase in social segregation in schools in the OECD and of all countries and economies participating in PISA since 2006. Segregation increased by 5 percentage points compared to a small reduction in segregation across the OECD. In contrast to Australia, social segregation decreased in 23 out of 35 OECD countries. The largest decreases were in Luxembourg, Korea and Poland. For the most part, the increases in the other countries were much less than Australia's. 
social segregation in schools compounds the effect of individual socioeconomic background on achievement and exacerbates gaps between rich and poor. There is a double jeopardy effect for students from low SES families in that they tend to be disadvantaged because of their circumstances at home. But when they are also segregated into low SES schools, they are likely to fare even worse. So, Increasing social segregation between schools tends to lead to worse results for low SES students and widen the achievement gap between high SES and low SES students. The OECD report found that across the OECD, disadvantaged students in disadvantaged schools achieved significantly lower results in the PISA science test than disadvantaged students in advantaged schools. As the report states, Addressing these school disparities with a focus on disadvantaged students is particularly important from the standpoint of equity because disadvantaged students who attend disadvantaged schools face a double disadvantage. In addition to the disparities in learning opportunities they already face as a result of their family's socioeconomic status, they are often confronted with more difficult learning environments that tend to be found in schools with lower socioeconomic profiles. Such doubly disadvantaged students are particularly likely to perform poorly in school. Equity in education can be compromised as a result. The small proportion of disadvantaged students who attend advantaged schools in Australia scored 86 points on the PISA science scale above their disadvantaged peers in disadvantaged schools. This is equivalent to nearly three years of learning at age 15. The score gap was slightly higher than the average across OECD countries of 78 points. In Finland, Iceland, Norway and Poland, disadvantaged schools serve disadvantaged students as well as advantaged schools. There was no significant difference in the performance of disadvantaged students related to whether they attended advantaged or disadvantaged schools in these countries. However, such students still perform below those of advantaged students because of their individual family circumstances. A major factor contributing to the much lower results of disadvantaged students in disadvantaged schools is that the disadvantaged schools generally have inferior teaching resources compared to advantaged schools. As data published in June by the OECD show, disadvantaged schools in Australia have more students per teacher, more teacher shortages, more teacher absenteeism, more poorly qualified teachers, more teachers teaching out of field, more inexperienced teachers, more teacher turnover, more novice teacher teachers and more teachers on short-term contracts than advantaged schools. The gaps rank among the largest in the OECD. The effect of social segregation in schools also has, a, has broader implications for society. Social segregation in schools breeds social intolerance in communities and workplaces and undermines social understanding and cohesion. Schools segregated by class make it more difficult for children to develop a real understanding of people of different backgrounds and to break down barriers of social intolerance. As Andreas Schleicher, Director of Education and Skills at the OECD, says in the foreword to the report, how we treat the most vulnerable students shows who we are as a society. The new report canvasses factors contributing to social segregations between schools. It says that social segregation in housing and neighbourhoods is an important factor behind school composition. It also says that residential segregation is exacerbated by education policies. It notes that segregation is relatively uncommon in most of the Nordic countries because these countries have long championed social inclusion, cohesion and equality, both in schools and in society as a whole. School systems in these countries have tried to provide equal opportunities to all students by successively breaking down barriers related to geography, socioeconomic status, gender and immigrant background. Many other countries give priority to parent choice, and this can increase social segregation. Some school choice policies may increase school socioeconomic segregation as better educated and more motivated parents are more likely to take advantage of these policies. 
This results in the concentration of advantaged students in what are perceived to be the best schools, such as seg- such segregation may be amplified if schools are allowed to select students on the basis of either academic and or financial criteria, for instance, through school fees. Many studies over the past 20 years have shown that more choice leads to greater social segregation in schools. For example, a review of school choice policies in the OECD, in OECD countries conducted by the OECD Secretariat included, in the last 25 years, more than two-thirds of OECD countries have increased school choice opportunities for parents. The empirical evidence reviewed here reveals that providing full parental school choices results in further student segregation between schools by ability, socioeconomic and ethnic background and in greater in, and in greater inequities across education systems. This is the case in Australia where education policies at the federal and state levels have long promoted choice and competition between schools across both the public and private sectors. Government funding policies have fostered the expansion of private schools and have denuded disadvantaged public schools of the resources they need to provide quality learning opportunities and outcomes for their students. The new OECD report says that countries should target additional resources towards advantaged student, disadvantaged students and schools and reduce concentration of disadvantaged students in schools. It is essential that disadvantaged students in all schools have the resources they need to succeed. This means that funding must be targeted in a way that equalises opportunities for learning and achievement. Schools with larger shares of disadvantaged students, therefore, will require additional investments in human and material resources, such as improvements to school infrastructure, teacher training and support, language development programs for minority students, tutoring and homework assistance services, extracurricular activities and customised instructional programs to address the learning challenges particular to disadvantaged and minority students. Australia fails badly in this regard. While many, student, while many individual disadvantaged schools implement special programs, overall these schools are routinely have fewer teaching resources, fewer educational materials and poorer quality physical infrastructure than advantaged schools, particularly private schools. The gaps are amongst the largest in the OECD. Some 95% of disadvantaged schools in Australia are public schools, yet state governments, which are primarily responsible for the funding of public schools, have cut their real inflation-adjusted funding since 2009. State governments must give priority to increasing funding for disadvantaged schools. This is the only way that disadvantaged public schools can acquire the human and material resources necessary to provide high-quality learning opportunities for, for their students. The federal government should also provide more support to disadvantaged public schools instead of limiting its funding of public schools to the arbitrary limit of 20% of their school resource standard, while cutting special deals with Catholic and independent schools worth millions, which are not based on need. Um, You've got it. There it is. That's why the sausage stinks. It's one of the reasons. Basically, if you're going to say that everyone's going to have unmitigated choice to opt themselves out of a public school system, you're basically strip-mining the public system and leaving it to rot. You are choosing, and here's the word choice, you are choosing to separate out your children into the haves and the haves-nots. The haves will be educated effectively and the have-nots, well, the devil take the highmost, as Jean would say. Who cares? Now, the thing is, in the 21st century, you must care if you wish to survive in the 21st century, you must care that every child gets an opportunity to the best quality education because that is the resource that your country will depend upon in the future. We've got two things in Australia that aren't going to run out. One is smart people and the other one's sunshine. 
So if you use sunshine and smart people, I'm, I'm sure we're going to do very well. But if you don't use the smart people in this country and educate them effectively into the future, you're going to have problems, which is exactly what we're doing, which is why the sausage stinks. Now, Trevor Cobalt in that article, and thank you very much, Dale, for dealing with the facts and figures as we do here. We have the time to do here on 3CR 855 on the AM dial on the DOGS program, the facts and figures. But um, there's other reasons. It's not just the great God choice that's, that's eating up our poor children and giving them poor educations. Um, there's a protection racket going on as well, which I'm going to highlight. Some very interesting articles have come out um, from fractious people within the Liberal Party, actually, that, that those, those ructions are still coming out. And there's nothing more informative, nothing more informative than a politician spurned when it comes to education funding, and I'll be filling you in on what's going on, um, with various Liberal Party members getting really, really grumpy, really grumpy, at the Catholic Church for what they did to the public school kids of Australia. It's really quite strange. Um, But we'll be doing that after a little bit of music.
Welcome back to the Dogs Program. That was a performance by Harlequin, a medieval grip from Tasmania, done um, actually in 2008. Uh, it's a little song called Stella Splendens. It's a pilgrim song. So all those people that accuse us of being irreligious, we just played some deeply religious music. Uh, music from the 14th century, indeed. A pilgrim song, as people went on their pilgrimage to see the bones of St. James in Santiago de Compostela. But back... Back to the common time of now, not the 14th century, where I'd like to stay for a bit longer. We might go back there later in the show, because it's lovely music by Harlequin. Um, back to the current day of what exactly is going on with that, that makes such a terrible education system here in Australia. There's a very interesting article by a woman called Samantha Maiden. Now, Samantha Maiden is actually, um, in the Australian context, a very brave woman. She's written an article that directly criticises and highlights what can only be termed as a protection racket that's being run by the Catholic Church in Australia when it comes to taking taxpayers' money to fund their schools. Absolutely fascinating. Um, She's a brave woman for writing this article. Um, Here at 3CR, we're we're used to being brave um, because this is independent radio. But for a journalist in Australia to tackle the Catholic Church head-on when it comes to the amount of money they receive from the federal government is indeed a very brave act, something that wouldn't have happened 20 years ago, but it's happening today. And she's highlighting a sequence of events that happened a year or so ago when Turnbull, when Malcolm Turnbull was still the Prime Minister, and he set up this thing called Gonski 2.0, and it was designed to be a political masterstroke. Because Malcolm Turnbull announced a new funding system for public and private schools, and when he did so, he was flanked by David Gonski. Now, David Gonski's surname is synonymous with Julia Gillard's original reform package, which was back in the early 2000s. The unions and the Labor Party also ran a campaign to support Malcolm Turnbull, called I Give a Gonski, which targeted the previous government, the Abbott government's decision to slash the original Gonski funding. And it was working, and so Turnbull responded. Now, the big hope was that the optics of Gonski, now standing with Turnbull, would actually destroy the whole Labour's point of of doing the whole give Gonski. Turnbull would come round to this whole idea of Gonski 2.0. But what Turnbull and his then Education Minister, Simon Birmingham, did not factor in was the sound and fury of the Catholic Church. A dishonest campaign was put on by the Catholic Church that campaigned about huge fee rises. Now, when I say dishonest, these aren't my words. These are the words of Christopher Pine, uh, the, the previous education minister, who's calling the Catholic Church dishonest. Nor did Turnbull or Pine or Birmingham anticipate that the Labour Party would then turn about and face and join forces with the Catholic Church to challenge the principle of one funding model for all schools. Despite the fact that Catholic schools would secure $88 billion over a decade, according to the government projections, the Catholics then said, that's not enough. We want more. And it was war. Birmingham, the then education minister, he now concedes, and this is where it's coming out after the fact, that for the first time that this, he's considered this was the campaign that cost him his job. The price of peace, he says, was his own head on a platter. This is Birmingham. This is the old education minister saying the Catholic Church assassinated me politically. He said, I was confident we could agree on a principled implementation, a principled implementation. And with nine of the ten Catholic education leaders who had always engaged with me in good faith, Birmingham is now telling the Guardian newspaper, which this is published in by Samantha Maiden. He said, but if we also wanted peace with one of the ten, then a new face was clearly a prerequisite, he said. I was happy to suggest a number of credible options, including the now Education Minister, Dan Tian. Now, the one in ten that Birmingham is referring to here, the one person in the Catholic system that said, no, I'm not dealing with you, Mr Birmingham, because you're anti-Catholic, was the Victorian Catholic Education Commission's Stephen Elder, someone we know very well here at the Dogs, who was also, by the way, um, a Victorian MP, a Liberal MP. Now, recently, Elder expressed his regret for Birmingham's humiliation, which he himself called, while at the same time, 
appearing to claim responsibility for actually humiliating Birmingham himself. Now, Birmingham. Birmingham was a rare breed in Turnbull's cabinet because Birmingham, out of all the 18 Liberal MPs, were the only one of four who attended a public school. Now, tasked with the difficult job of securing Senate support for the Gonski 2.0 package, which would deliver more cash than Abbott, but less than promised by Gillard, it was decided the best plan was to hang it on a principle. The Senate lure was an end to special deals and one funding system for all schools, be they public or private. Now, that in itself makes no sense to us at the dogs, but it was better than what was before. Now, senior Liberals now concede that the one funding model agenda was crafted to appeal to the Greens, but it set the Turnbull government on a collision course with the Catholic Church. Instead of welcoming the new cash blast, there would be billions of dollars more for public, private and Catholic schools too. But the Catholic sector was furious. Bishop. The bishop. This isn't a politician we're talking about. This isn't an elected person, but the bishop, Peter A. Comencioli, who now serves as the Archbishop of Melbourne, was among the first on the phone to express his displeasure to the Federal Education Minister, Simon Birmingham. Guardian Australia has confirmed that he rang Birmingham and accused Birmingham of blindsiding the Catholic Church. After being duchessed by successive governments, the Gonski 2.0 announcement was a shock to the Catholic Church. Soon it became apparent that it was not simply a lack of consultation or the threat of funding that was the problem. This was the problem. It was that the government's plan to publish online an estimate of school funding and write to parents, write to the parents how much their school would get that made Catholic educators furious. Because Catholic educators don't want their parents to know how much money the government gives to their schools. But why? There were multiple representations, including from the now Archbishop of Melbourne, over that intervening period about the fact that they were going to tell every school what they were going to get. Urging us not to do that, a senior Liberal, again anonymous, a different Liberal, anonymous Liberal, is confirming. As the Archbishop of Melbourne, Comencioli, explained to the Minister, the taxpayer-funded grants for each school went into one big pot for the Catholic schools, which then the Catholic Bishop chose to redistribute at his discretion. And by the way, it's always a him because it's the Catholic Church. The letter from the Commonwealth to the parents and the actual funding for schools received would not actually tally. The Archbishop declined requests, by the way, to discuss his opposition to the transparency on how taxpayer funding was spent for the article written by The Guardian by Samantha Maynard. Um, they said that they couldn't talk to The Guardian, the Archbishop said, because of a busy schedule at the Vatican. Now, two federal by-elections were used to press the Catholics' case. Batman in Victoria, won by the Labour Party, and Longman in Queensland. Catholic Education conducted robocalls in Batman, campaigning for Labour, following party leader Bill Shorten's confirmation during the campaign that Catholic schools would secure $250 million extra over the next two years. The church also wrote to parents before the by-election to warn of possible fee increases and school closures due to these horrible Liberal Party politicians. But many Labour observers dismissed the Catholic, Catholic sector's claim of a powerful intervention in the context as a beat-up they say Shorten's contact with Catholics to thank them for the robocalls was nothing more than stakeholder management. Despite this, ALP's Victorian Deputy State Director, Cosas Samaras, believes the idea of slashing Catholic school funding would be politically disastrous. Aside, by the way, and this is a quote, from myriad of other vote-killing policies that we have embraced in the past, going down this path would wipe Labour out if they took on the Catholic Church. He wrote in a recent Facebook post to Labour supporters. Now, he says it would cost billions to make up the shortfall, around 200,000 odd Labour primary votes. Now, when he says shortfall, he's not talking about money, he's talking about votes. Ultimately, the Morrison government just capitulated. Scott Morrison announced a $1.2 billion equity funding only for independent and Catholic schools under the peace deal, excluding, specifically excluding, public schools. Right now, Morrison said, it's going to help those Catholic schools to provide fee relief for kids from drought-affected areas. 
so they don't have to leave school. So he's tying it in with... I'm sorry, I just... I have trouble when I read things like that. Morrison said he's going to give an extra $1.2 billion of equity funding to Catholic schools to provide fee relief for kids from drought-affected areas. But we know that as soon as he gives the money to the Catholic Church, it goes into one big pot to be distributed by the bishops. So that just makes no sense. But even Catholic educators scoff at the Prime Minister's public claim the funds for drought relief. The Catholic administrator lashes, what drought relief? Over 10 years? Really? <laughs> the true purpose of the fund, according to insiders, was to deliver the cash to the Catholic sector that the Parliament would not countenance. It could be done by regulation and did not require legislation. Government sources confirm it was a brainchild of the independent schools. The former New South Wales Education Minister, Andrew Piccoli, Adrian Piccoli, I should say, a believer who sends his children to Catholic schools, said politicians were running scared. During his tenure in New South Wales, Piccoli, who remained incensed at the Catholic Church's resisting calls to report child or sex offenders, cited the, sanct- citing the sanctity of the confessional, learned the hard way when he tried to cut funding from Catholic schools. He said, They had their priests preaching from the pulpit on Sunday about how terrible the New South Wales government was because we were going to take a relatively small amount of money off them. And you know what, said Piccoli? It really spooks MPs, and I just don't know why. I don't actually think the Catholics, and I am one of them, he says, um, have that much faith in the, Catholic, um, in, in the Catholic hierarchy at all. The Grattan Institute's Peter Goss maintains that as she was 30 Catholic primary schools faced fee increases in excess of $4,000 a year, and the median family income at those schools was $200,000. He says the Commonwealth has given Catholic schools, which educate about 20% of Australian children, 10 times what they needed to address fee relief. But, Rox Fox, the Director of Catholic Education for Canberra and Goulburn, the hardest hit by the changes, says their complaints about the unfairness of the original needs-based funding model has been vindicated by changes to the new model using parents' tax data. He said, we had a responsibility to speak. At various points, people used the words dishonest and liars. Pine certainly said dishonest. Now, Mr Fox says, I personally take offence at that because we were never dishonest, we never lied, he says. Now, he also says that Birmingham's mistake was to think that policy purity was going to serve the interests of school children in Australia. Now, I'm going to take that back. Mr Fox says his mistake was to think that policy purity was going to serve the interests of Catholic school children in Australia. He thought the most important thing was to get one funding model for every single school, so he put that ahead of where the schools were going to close and indeed fees. Now, bear in mind, state schools, fees isn't a question. The Greens leader, Richard Di Natale, has accused the government of pandering to bullies in the sector and having sold Australian students down the river to silence a powerful lobby group. Yeah. Labor. Their own end game was always to outspend the coalition, particularly on public schools, and the more money public schools for public schools is a battle the Liberals cannot win. Um, so I'm, sh- I'm actually showing you there how the sausages are made, how the Catholic Church has, in the last 12 months, played standover tactics to both political parties and the Labor Party, believe it or not, well, not believe it or not, we, we know it very well here at the Dogs, the Labor Party are the ones that rolled over first. But I think at the very heart of this is this very fundamental problem. And I think this problem is that the Catholic school system refuse, absolutely point back refuse, to allow the people of Australia to see how they spend the money given to them by the people of Australia. The people of Australia pay for the education of children in Catholic schools. But the Catholic hierarchy, which is the church itself, will not allow the people of Australia to see how that money is spent. Now, this has come out in Auditor General's reports over the last 20 years in Victoria, in the federal sphere, and in New South Wales. Every time an Auditor General looks at it, it says, this is fraudulent, you're doing the wrong thing, we've given you money for these children in this school, and you're not spending it on the children. You're spending it somewhere else. You're not going to tell us. And when they go and have a look and audit them, they say, but where is the money gone? And the Catholic Church says, we're not telling you. Go away. Just that simple. Because the taxpayer funding to the richest private and also Catholic schools under Labor could be kept secret and will be kept secret 
because neither the Labour Party nor the Liberal Party are willing to take on the Catholic Church and say, no, we give you the money, you have to account for it. And that is why the sausages, which are the Australian education system, stink to high heaven. Because the process is not just about what Dale was talking about, how the poison of choice means we segregate our children into rich and poor. The rich get educated, the poor do not. But even beyond that, there is a standover merchant, the independent school system in particular, but also the Catholic Church in Australia are saying, we're, not ch- we're just not going to tell you. Now, people accuse us of being sectarian, of course, here on the dogs, because I'm talking about the Catholic Church and the independent school system in derogatory terms. But I think to prove we're not. We're not at all sectarian here. In fact, we have many people who are members of the dogs programs who are deeply religious, who are followers indeed of all sorts of religions, but in particular the followers of Christ. And as a result, I think we're going to play some more beautiful religious music from the 13th century, from the Contigus of Santa Maria. And this is the performance of Contigus 353. Every week on the Doctor Program, we have a special segment to show a different state school is a great school. State schools are great. Schools. School of the week. State school. School of the school. week. Great state schools. The state, state schools. schools. School are great of the week. Schools. School for the week here on the Dogs Program. Oh, great state school. We're talking about doom and gloom and off sausages that have gone off in the sun and that sort of stuff. And we talk about how, many, how in Australia, by definition, state schools are disadvantaged. 
But you know what? There's some great state schools out there. No question about it. And one of the great state schools, which I'm going to highlight actually this week, is down in a little place called Narry Warren. It's an outer suburb of Melbourne. And Narry Warren was in trouble. Narry Warren was not going well because it had been under-resourced for year after year after year after year. And about three years ago, Narry Warren South... Nary Warren South, Peter 12 College, was not the school that it is today. Back three years ago, it actually failed basic standards of learning and student well-being as it wrestled with the challenges of teaching one of the most disadvantaged areas in the state. Now, I'll tell you about this school. 4% of the school come from the upper, upper income quartile. Over half of the kids come from the poorest families in Australia and another 30% of the kids come from lower um, income families. They're not the poorest, but they're by no means the richest. So this school is populated with people that in the Australian context, as Dale was telling us here in the program, because we have one of the most economically segregated education systems on the planet, that means that in Australia, if you don't come from a rich family, you will be most likely put in a school with with, with your peers in terms of income and your educational outcomes will be poorer. And in Australia, that means you're in a state school, and then perhaps a state school like Nary Warren South, Peter 12 College. And three years ago, the school was wrestling with challenges, serious challenges in teaching, because of it, in drawing its parents from one of the most disadvantaged areas in the state. Until Rob Duncan turned up, and he became the principal in 2015. And he knew what the problems were, and he knew things had to change. Now, he and his staff set out on a makeover mission that has now been so successful in three years, the Southeastern College has recently won awards and been classified by the department as a school of influence, setting a statewide benchmark. Now, this is a school with 2,200 students across prep to year 12 from 60 different cultural backgrounds, and it has more than 200 teaching and support staff. And taking those people... And turning them around in three years is no mean feat. He said there's a lot of hard work and we undertook a fair degree of just sitting and taking a good hard look at ourselves, the principal said. And I'm quoting now from an interesting article from um, the Fairfax Press by Anna Pritz. She wrote it a couple of days ago, actually. Now, she says the key starting points for the transformation were the ensuring that all staff were teaching in the same way to give students stability and help kids whose behaviour was disruptive. Making school a refuge for children living in low socioeconomic area with high levels of domestic violence was in fact one of the key goals of the school. I'm going to say that again. This is a school where, where their first goal was to make sure that children inside the school were safe because outside was a violent place, including very high levels of domestic violence. Mr Duncan said we really needed an integrated approach. For a lot of these kids, this is a safe place for them where they come and there in the school is someone who will advocate and champion them. These kids should not be defined, he says, by their postcode. He is disgusted by that idea, as I am myself. We are about an orderly learning environment where kids genuinely feel safe, where the teachers are in charge and where there are consequences for disruptive behaviour, he says. To take a holistic approach to student welfare, the school built a quarter-of-a-million-dollar wellbeing centre which employs a psychologist, two counsellors, a youth worker, and a speech pathologist. Mr Duncan said the centre is to thank for the record upswing in students' improved attitude and feelings of connection to the school. The college received $3.5 million in equity funding for social disadvantage from the state government each year, but many of its students coming from refuge and migrant backgrounds, refugee, I should say, and migrant backgrounds. In year three alone, 60% of kids speak a language other than English at home. Now, 2018, three years after the rescue mission began, the NAPLAM scores are markedly improved. The attendance records are exemplary. Staff are being headhunted by other schools. Enrolments are up. And the zone boundary is being enforced for the first time because so many other people from outside say, what's going on there? I want to get my kid in. The school even took out two Victorian Education Excellence Awards just a couple of weeks ago through the school including the School Advancement Award. Now, he said the school hasn't always had a great reputation. It was very difficult in the early days. I felt an overwhelming sense of pride for, not myself, but the families, the kids 
and the staff that are stuck with the place. Changing a school's fortunes is such a significant and requires an absolutely relentless effort. It was about a big ship turned around, he said. It required a lot of hard work from a lot of people. Where schools and teachers have made mistakes in focusing on teaching before an orderly learning environment, there have been problems. Now, they all worked together to focus on improving the classroom so the kids could pay attention and the teachers could feel confident that they could manage. And so that again, focusing so the teachers could feel confident that they could manage. Anyone can do it if they stick to established preconditions for improvement first, but it's simply really hard. Now, let me tell you about this school. Let me tell you that this school is dealing with some of the roughest kids in the state that come from some of the roughest backgrounds in the state, and they're putting all this extra money, but even including the extra money, do you know how much it costs to educate a child at this school? It costs. Now, bear in mind, for this is Peter 12, so... Uh, uh, to educate a kid to a gold standard in Australia, if you're in primary school, is about 12,000. Secondary college is about 15. They're still only spending on these kids in one of the roughest parts of the country and doing exemplary work, $11,994 per kid. They're spending more than that on the Catholic schools, kids down the road. And the more people say that sending a child to a private school saves the taxpayer money, there's a word for it, and I can't say it on air because it's during the day, but there's a word for that. Um, that is an inaccurate statement, a wildly inaccurate statement to say such a thing. So Australian State and Federal Government, oh, by the way, fees for this school, fees, charges, and other parent contributions for this school, $99 per year. And I'll tell you right now, that fee is waived for people who can't afford it, which will be, in fact, well over 70% of the kids at the school. So that's what they're doing. Oh, NAPLAN results, by the way. Just, just by the way, if you want to know about the NAPLAN results, this is an important thing for many parents, if you want to know if a school's any good or not. Compared to similar schools, this school is doing either well or excellently in comparison. Writing schools are all well above. Grammar schools, numeracy schools, spelling schools and reading schools all have, in one year or another, excellent results, well above the average for similar schools. So, quite frankly, um, congratulations, Nary Warren. Peter 12 College. You're doing an absolutely wonderful... You are, by definition, the great state school. You are the one bit of the sausage that does not smell. You are doing an excellent job, as indeed are so many state schools around Victoria. Now, if you want to let us know about a state school in your area that's going well, please do. You can just call up here at 3CR. I'll do the research. If you leave me a note, it's on 94198377. That's 94198377. We'll return just in a bit after these messages. For 10 days in November, Defend and Extend's public housing will be campaigning on the steps of Parliament House to make public housing an election issue. Public housing, everybody's business. Join us anytime from Wednesday the 14th of November, that's midday the 14th of November, to Saturday midnight the 24th of November and put the spotlight on public housing this Victorian state election. Use Victoria's stamp duty revenue approximately $6 billion plus per year for public housing. House 1 million Victorians by 2029. Public housing, everybody's business. Join us. Bring tea, bring coffee, bring cakes, bring food, bring your musical instruments and most importantly of all, bring yourself and your sleeping bag. Welcome back to the Dogs Program. Look, just a little tiny thing which I thought was interesting. Um, we haven't touched on it. We might have to deal, deal with this in later programs, but there's this whole big thing about the values debate. Oh, God, I get so sick of that word. Um, where a number of religious schools have demanded that their values are to exclude people who do not follow their religious faith from their schools. Um, by the way, they're publicly funded, taxpayer-funded schools. Um, this is playing out with a number of principals up in New South Wales writing an open letter saying that we, we demand the right to be able to not employ, sack or expel anyone who is of a sexual orientation which we do not approve of um, and is contrary to our religious values. Now, the dog's position is really quite simple. Um, 
religion is a private matter um, and if you want to have the opinion that someone's sexuality and the way they define themselves is truly offensive to you and your religious values, we live in a free country. Um, if you have a particular um, idea about someone that you wish to exclude, then quite, quite frankly, um, you can exclude them. Um, that, that, that's your business. Just don't take taxpayers' money to do it. If you want to be in a position where you want to have a safe space for people who are like yourself, let's just say a safe women's space, and you want to exclude men, I think you should be able to. I just don't, I have no problem with that. If you want to have a men's shed movement where men can get together and not have women around, I think that's actually something that people should be allowed to do. But neither of those things have anything to do with, with the taxpayers' ideas about what is safe and what is good. I think to be discriminating in itself is not a bad thing, but to demand that everyone else subsidise your rights to discriminate based upon your gender or your sexuality, I think is completely wrong. So I think if you have an Anglican school principal who says, I don't, I basically want to sack all the gay teachers, and if they are stupid enough to come to me and tell them, tell me they're gay, then of course I'll just have to sack them. Um, don't take my money. I'm not giving you money to do that. That's your business. And by giving you money, you're making it my business. You're making me complicit in something that I personally don't believe in, although you, yourself, as a principal, might. Now, this is playing out in all sorts of strange ways in, in New South Wales because the principals have all come and said, we are deeply religious in our convictions and want to exclude people who, who have ideas that are, that are offensive to our religion. Um, and then, the, of course, the... the the pupils of the schools themselves, the ex-pupils, are saying, no, 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 your, your values aren't what, aren't, aren't what we got from you. It's this strange sort of mix of the word values being used um, in an aggressive way to exclude people and then the word values being used by ex-pupils, I sort of say, to um, say, well, we should include them. But... um. I'm going to talk about this a little bit longer, I have to say, but we're going to, have to do it next week because I think this whole values debate is playing out in the most ridiculous way. But I just want to finish off by just saying, finally, either a school values diversity, values equality and values equity, or it doesn't. And if it does, then it is, in fact, worthy of government funding. And if it doesn't, then it's not. It's just that simple. But until next week, from myself, if you're interested in what we're talking about, you can get us at our website, www.adogs.info, www.adogs.info. But until next week, it's bye for now. I dreamed I saw Joe last night Alive as you and me Says I, but Joe, you're ten years dead I never died, says he I never died, says he In Salt Lake City, Joe, says I Him standing by my bed they framed you on a murder charge, says Joe, but I'm dead, says Joe, but I'm dead. The copper bosses killed you, Joe, they shot you, Joe, says I, takes more than guns to kill a man. Says Joe, I didn't die. Says Joe, I didn't die. And standing there as big as life and smiling with his eyes, says Joe, what they can never kill went on to organize. Went on to organize From San Diego up to Maine In every mine and mill Where workers strike and organize It's there you find your hill It's there you find Saw Joe here last night. Oh.
I, but Joe, you're ten years dead. I never died, says he.